0: From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Well, I want you to to stand with me as I read the Word. And I'm going to read two, two sections of Scripture for us. And we believe here, the church, um, that the word of God, the Bible, is God's inspired and errant word. It's holy. And by that, it is set apart from all other words. And so we stand just to, in our our mind and in our heart, say this is different than every other word. So here's what I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 4. It is Philippians chapter 4. I just lost my place. Here it is. Verse 5, starting halfway through verse 5, says, The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then I want to read from Exodus chapter 3. I have it in my iPad, but it's not the same. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. Father, we thank you for your word. And I believe, Lord, that you speak even now through your word. There's power. There's authority in your word. And, and so when we, de, when we declare it out loud, when we speak it out loud, Lord, you work. And if I say nothing else today, I know, God, that you will work through your word. So we bless your word. And as we turn our attention, God, just to what you want to say to us this morning, speak to our hearts. Lead us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can take a seat. We are starting today, 21 days of prayer and fasting. If you are um, just joining us, you would have not heard about that. But if you've been around for the past few weeks, you should know by now that today is the beginning of our, our prayer and fasting. And we we have deliberately chosen to begin each year, the last few years, to, to pray and fast. Of all the things that we can begin our new year with, prayer and fasting should be of the utmost importance importance. You know, we can do a lot of other good things to begin the near, new year. You can, you can, you know, start to do the, the, the diets and the exercise and all the resolutions. I've, I've started taking cold showers every day in January. I know it sounds really nutty, but I do it, and it's exhilarating. But as you, as you begin different resolutions, resolving to turn your spirit towards Christ is the most important thing. The scriptures say that physical training is of some value, but godliness has value in all things. So I think it's important for us as a church to begin the the, the year by practicing prayer and fasting as a way to draw our attention to Christ and to seek his will and to to get discernment. It gives strength. St. Augustine, an early church father, said this. He said, fasting cleanses the soul raises the mind, subjects one's flesh to the spirit, renders the heart contrite and humble, scatters the clouds of the concupiscence, quenches the fire of lust, and kindles the true light of chastity. You know, if you're looking for strength in moments of temptation, you're looking for the ability and power to say no. Fasting deliberately gives you that power later on. If you can say no to yourself in a, in a fast, then when the moment comes and temptation strikes, you are more likely to say no. John of the Cross, a Catholic mystic in the 1500s, he said this, the soul is attached to anything, the soul that is attached to anything, however much good there may be in it, will not arrive at the liberty of divine union, for whether it be I be a strong wire rope or a slender and delicate thread that holds the bird it matters not if it really holds it fast for until the cord be broken the bird cannot fly there is power for freedom through prayer and fasting and we're going to do this over the course of 21 days because you can do anything for 21 days and they say or it's said and the powers that be whoever they may be say that 21 days is a good way to start a habit and build this into a routine. And so here's how this works. You're going to pick a fast. And you can go on our website, weareparkway.com, slash 21 days of prayer. You'll see it right on the tabs there, 21 days of prayer. And it'll give you some information on fasting. You can do a complete fast where you, you know, choose not to have any food and just consume liquids. You can do a selective fast where you just choose maybe a meal or two or certain kinds of foods that you you deliberately not um, indulge in. you know the Daniel fast is one of those where you, you stay away from choice wines as the scripture would say and, and you rem, rem, choice meats and you just just choose vegetables. You can do a, a partial fast where it's almost like an intermittent fasting ideal where you, you just choose to not eat between certain hours of the day. You can do a soul fast which would be those kind of things that aren't food. You know, you might say, well, I'm not going to be on social media or I'm going to give up TV or whatever it may be for the course of the time. The idea of fasting is denying yourself something for the purpose of focusing on the Lord. And there's incredible... You know what? I remember being a youth pastor, we would sit our leaders down every four to six weeks and we would do this little self-evaluation wheel and we had this circle and each pie of the circle represented a different spiritual practice, and then we would share where we felt we were doing the best in. It was completely, you know, a self-evaluation, and, and then we'd share where we felt we were doing the, the, the worst in, and almost everyone would say that fasting was the worst. It's the one practice that often isn't practiced by Christians, but it's probably one practice that has the most power in it. So I'd encourage you to join with us. In fact, I want to challenge you to do this with us. So pick a fast. Then you're going to devote extra time to prayer each day. So if you are not a praying person, you're going to begin praying. And if you are a praying person, you're going, to, you're going to ask yourself, how can I go deeper in prayer? Then we're going to do this over the course of 21 days, 3 weeks. And then during that time, I want to ask you and challenge you to join one of our prayer meetings. We have one this Tuesday, Tuesday mornings, 9.30 to 10.30 a.m. And then we have one Saturday nights at 6.30 p.m., right here at the church. And then you can also join pre-service prayer on a Sunday morning. And then at the end of the 21 days, on January 27th, the Saturday, we're going to come together for a night of prayer and worship, just to end our, our prayer and fasting. So I want you to do that. Now, when you came in, you would have noticed on the wall some paper that says prayer wall. What we want you to do, um, and I want, I want to encourage everyone to do this, is write down a prayer request. Or two or three on that wall so that as we come together as a church each Sunday, we can look at the different needs and we can be lifting them up in prayer. And I, I believe everyone has a request. Everybody's got something that they need prayer for. And if you say, well, I don't know if I do, then just sit down for five minutes and evaluate in and around your life. And you probably could think of something or someone that needs lifting up to the Lord. And so write down on that as, as little or as much detail as you'd like. Don't take up the, you know, don't decide to be the kid that does, like, the big giant letters because we want room for everyone. But take time after the service, and there's some, some Sharpie markers over on the welcome desk um, there. And then over the course of the next five weeks, we're going to talk about prayer. And I want to encourage us this morning with this simple idea, is that prayer happens whenever, wherever, and for whatever, Prayer can happen whenever, wherever, and for whatever. Paul, the apostle, in writing to the church, uh, the Philippian church, says, The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything but in every situation. In every situation. Prayer is not something that's just reserved for the worship center or the sanctuary. It's not something that just happens at a prayer meeting. It's not something that, you know, we only do pre-service it can happen at any place, any time. It can happen when you're driving your car or when you wake up in the morning, you know, when you're in that, going into that meeting and you're in the middle of the meeting, you come out of the meeting. Prayer happens in all places at all times. It is the mode in which we connect to the presence of God. It's conversation with Jesus. Turn to Exodus chapter 3. We see Moses. If you have a Bible, I'd like you to turn with me sticks in you a little bit more. We have Moses, um, who was the leader of the Hebrew people, if you know the story, chosen by God, divinely chosen by God to lead the Hebrew people out of slavery, out of Egypt, into the promised land and establish them as a nation unto God himself. But before that happened, before the ten plagues of Egypt and the parting of the Red Sea and the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai and, and that whole journey through the wilderness to the promised land, Moses was a shepherd in the fields of Midian. And he was shepherding, wandering the fields of Midian. He comes to this place called Horeb, which is called the mountain of God. And we read that together. That is the same mountain that's also called Mount Sinai. It would later be the place where Moses would receive the Ten Commandments from God. And the Israelite people would camp. So Moses is in the fields of Midian. And he comes to Horeb. And there he encounters an angel of the Lord in a burning bush that won't burn up. And like any of us, he's a little curious. And he decides to go check this out. And God calls to him from this place, from this bush, Moses. Moses. Here I am. I love that response of Moses. Here I am. It's so simple. It's like, remember when you were in in school and the teacher used to call out your name to see if you were present? (laughs) Present. And one kid would be like, president. And you'd all chuckle and laugh. Just like that. Here I am. A simple response to God. And God says, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Again, that word holy means set apart. It means to set something apart from all others. This is a place that Moses likely had wandered with his sheep shepherding for years, Decades. This was familiar territory. He knows these lands in and out. This is common space and place for Moses. But this familiar field, this hillside where he meets with God becomes holy ground. What makes it holy ground? It's not that it's holy ground. I don't assume there's like precious jewels lying around. It's not consecrated. Nobody did ceremonial rituals and sacrifices in order to prepare the space for Moses to meet with God. So we don't know. Later that would become a thing as they would establish the tabernacle and the sacrificial system as a way of approaching a holy God. He was trying... God would, would teach the people, how do you approach a holy God? Reverently and out of fear. But here... It's just common ground. There's nothing holy about the ground. What makes this holy is Moses meeting with God there. It only takes a moment to turn an everyday space, wherever and whenever, into holy ground. The sitting room where Esther would make her request before the king to save her people. The upstairs room by the window where Daniel defiantly prayed against the royal law, the poor stable on the outskirts of Bethlehem where Mary and Joseph would have baby Jesus, the beach that Peter fished since he was a boy where Jesus would call to follow him, the upper room in Jerusalem where the Spirit blew. takes a moment to turn an everyday place into holy space. For me, it was the cafeteria of St. Clair College as I sat on a cold chair at a hard table and I felt the voice of God come to my heart. It was the back of a gymnasium that was turned into a worship space on a cold floor where I felt God stirring my heart. There's something about cold floors in me meeting with God. It was the car driving in the quiet of the middle of the night with my family sleeping where he began to stir my heart for... Parkway, before I knew it was Parkway. Is the couch in my main living room each morning. While sometimes my 19-month-old daughter runs and plays and climbs and yells and screams. These are spaces that become holy ground, not because of the places themselves, but because those are the places where you choose to meet with a holy God. You know, I think one of the barriers that can stop us from praying is location. We think that prayer is location-specific. We come to church, we come into this room, and this room is, this is where we pray. And that's not necessarily wrong. We are creatures of habit. In fact, I would encourage you to find a space that can become a praying place for you. Because we are creatures of habit, we tend to do that. But any place is holy ground when we meet with Jesus. Paul says it this way. He says, The Lord is near, so do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. Pray. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious. Every situation. Come to God. You know, I, as, as we, you've probably heard that scripture said, if you've been church long enough, In Philippians chapter 4, do not be anxious. But we fail to look at the few words before that. And depending on what version of the Bible you read, you know, we have an English translation of the original Greek language. And depending on where the punctuation is put will determine how you read that. In my NIV version, which I have here, there's a period after the Lord is near. In the ESV that I read for study often, there's a semicolon. The Lord is near. We miss those four words before we begin to look at the do not be anxious about anything. The Lord is near, and since he's near, whenever and wherever can become holy. Every situation we go through, every circumstance, every difficulty, every challenge, every person we meet, every meeting we attend, every choice we need to make in every situation. If it's going to be every situation, it can't be location-specific. The Lord is near though, right? What does the Christmas story teach us? That God has come to be with us. What does Pentecost reveal to us? That as believers, the Holy Spirit is in us. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. When you wake up, when you open your Bible at the kitchen table, when you're driving in the car, the Lord is near. Now this this scripture is probably one of the few places in, in scripture where there's there's kind of step by step instruction on how to pray. I want to read it one more time. It says the Lord is near, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So he's near, do not be anxious, every situation with your prayers, your petitions, I love that petitions. Some will say supplications. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But many more of us spend more time dwelling on anxious thoughts, am I right? Mulling them over in our mind than actually praying about them. So, if it's right here in the scriptures, the Lord is near, do not be anxious, why don't I take the Lord up on it? Why don't I believe that to be true? Maybe it's because deep down inside, maybe we don't buy it. Or maybe we've tried it. And that exchange hasn't really appeared to be so. You know, more and more today, anxiety is an issue among people. It seems like the pandemic of our time. Tyler Staton in his book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, said that anxiety is the soundtrack humming beneath modern life. More of us are familiar with anxiety than we are peace. We're better acquainted with overwhelming circumstances than accepting accepting this unburdened freedom promised in prayer. God hears in his word, holy word, inspired and in Eric, promising super peace. Like not just peace. Not just, you know, for those of you who are like me and you're you're young family and you got kids and they just, they happen to all be quiet downstairs, which always means trouble. But they just happen to be quiet and you just feel like, whoa, I got a moment of rep- peace. Not that kind of peace. Like a, like, a, like a supernatural peace, the kind that we can't even logically explain. He says in the scripture, it transcends understanding, which means in every situation, if the situation calls for anxiety, I still have peace. It transcends. It moves above. It is beyond. It does not matter. It is not situation specific. This, this peace is there and promised. And the means of this great exchange is prayer the means to receive this peace that he promises is is prayer. So why don't we pray like this? I think one of the greatest deceptions that the enemy has led the church to believe is that prayer is not powerful. Sometimes we can't measure it, right? We can't track it. And there's lots of reasons why we don't pray. We're busy. We're so busy. Oh, I'm just, I, I'm trying to, you're social. Got things going on. Kids are in things. You gotta, you gotta help, you know, your kids are driving. You gotta drive them. You know, all the different things. There's lots of things. And when you when your kids are all grown up and they're they're out and you feel like, I'm gonna have more time now, you don't have more time because something takes up the time, right? And then you feel like when you retire, you're gonna have a lot more time. But all the retirees I talk to, I don't know how you guys fill up your time, but you fill up your time, right? Something fills up the time. We're busy people, and we're trying to succeed and get through life. We have so much going on, and and we're distracted. We have the internet in our pockets. You have a world of everything on the smallest device possible, and it can fit in your pocket. We're so distracted, but the reality is we always find time to make, make time for the most important things. We eat Don't tell me you're too busy to eat. 21 days of prayer and fasting is upon us. Uh. We eat, we sleep. We always have time to make time for the most important things. The reality is, prayer doesn't make the list. So, Tyler Statton, director of 24-7 Prayer in the U.S., gives us four reasons that I want to share with you this morning as to why we don't pray. The first is this, we don't pray for fear of being naive. In our world, we like control. We like to be in control. and Prayer is something that cannot be mastered. Prayer is something that is submissive by nature. To pray is to be ex- put ourselves in a, an exposed position before God. To pray is to humbly admit that you don't have everything in control. To pray is to risk, to trust someone who might let you down. To pray is to get our hopes up, and we don't want our hopes shattered. Can't control that. Number two is, is we don't pray for fear of silence. We don't like to quiet our minds as much as we all would say I would love some peace and quiet. We're addicted to noise. Silence is frightening. Prayer means that we're facing silence. Have you ever tried to sit in silence for 10 minutes? Like set a timer and don't look at your phone, don't turn on the TV, don't listen to songs, nothing for 10 minutes. You can't do it. You don't want to know how I know? Because if you sit in a conversation or a small group or a life group and there's a moment of silence, you feel tension, you feel awkward. Why isn't nobody talking? Somebody's got to talk, so maybe I should talk. How about I just do it right now? I've actually made room for 10 minutes of silence in this service starting now. No, I haven't. I'm just joking. But some of you had a moment of, like, seriously? Silence. What if God doesn't answer? Like, what if I come and I pray and He doesn't speak and He doesn't answer? What if I don't sense Him? What if it's boring? Start tapping the table. Gotta, where's my phone? Gotta check. Number three is we don't pray for fear of selfish motives. What if what I'm praying for is super selfish? How can I ask God for this? Have I really given him enough attention to come to him with this kind of request? Is this kind of like a text message? Hey, God, we don't talk often, but I got this situation. You know? It's kind of like the crisis prayer. You never speak to him. It's like calling out mom and dad that you never talked to, and you're like, I need your help. I haven't talked to you in 10 years, but I need your help. Is this request pure enough? Are my motives wrong? When we pray, we become increasingly aware of those motives. Number four is we don't pray for fear of doing it wrong. We're not eloquent enough. We're not confident. We don't pray. We're not comfortable I hear other people pray and I don't understand what they're saying. I haven't, I haven't figured out the mechanism yet. I don't know the lingo. Maybe when I understand the lingo, I'll begin to pray. That guy on the stage, he prays like super, super special. And I don't even know how to talk like that. Never mind, pray like that. Maybe one day I'll figure it out. You know, ironically, you learn how to pray by praying. You never learn how to pray... By being instructed on how to pray. And the other ironic thing is over the next five weeks we're going to talk about prayer. But you don't learn to pray by hearing about prayer. You learn to pray by praying. These are reasons why we don't pray. Here are four why we should pray. Number one is because you are overwhelmed. Progressives would say that human progress is how we move forward in life. And as we move forward, you know, People are becoming more whole. The world is getting better. Things are improving because of advancement. And we all know that that balloon has popped because that is not true, which has led to disillusionment. The story of self-sufficiently has left us overwhelmed. Everyone is drowning in their thing. Everyone has a thing, and it doesn't matter what it is, but we're constantly overwhelmed. And being constantly overwhelmed should drive us to a God who is Sufficient. We don't have enough space, enough time, enough energy, enough strength to do all the things we have to do, and it's causing stress, which causes anxiety, which impacts our body, and it's this crazy spiral. So we should go to the God who is self sufficient completely and promises that if we cast our cares upon him, he will sustain us. That's a promise in scripture. You'll never let the righteous fall. Well, I'm not righteous enough. Well, you don't become righteous by doing righteous things. You become righteous by putting your trust in a righteous God, Jesus, who not only took our sin but gives us his righteousness. Never lets the righteous fall. We don't pray number two, or we should pray number two. It's because trust comes before faith. Faith is the assurance of what we hope for. Trust could be said is the confidence in the character of God. Sometimes before we can have faith that God will answer the request, we simply have to trust in the character of whom we're talking to. You know, I find in, in times of loss, people have a lot of questions. Where is this person now? we can deduce a lot of different things. At the end of the day, though, I trust in the character of God to do what is right. He is loving. He is compassionate. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is just. He is truth. What if the cancer doesn't go away or we don't get the job or my spouse and I don't get on the same page or I remain ad- addicted? If I pray and he doesn't answer those prayers. What, what happens now? Well, instead, maybe I don't build a wall around myself to insulate myself from a possible answer I don't like, but I trust in a God whose character is pure. And I see that in the person of Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And if you look at the character of Jesus, anyone who stopped Jesus, he made time for Anybody who needed a touch, needed healing, he healed. That is the God we serve. When the disciples are shooing away the kids, and he says, no, let them come. When Zacchaeus is hanging out in the tree far away because he can't see over the crowds because no one's going to let the short tax collector through, so he climbs a tree, Jesus stops and says, I want to go to your house. When the religious people wouldn't meet with the people that you probably should meet with that need a doctor, he says, guess what? These are the people that need a doctor. The sick need a doctor, not the healthy. I've not come to save the righteous, but the sinners. I trust in his character. I don't know if he'll answer this request, but guess what? I trust in his character. Number three is pray because complaints are welcome. God isn't nearly as worried about our mixed motives as we are. If you look at the Psalms, I encourage you to read a Psalm a day. If you look at the Psalms, the Psalm is a collection of prayers and songs, and many of them are full of anger and depression and complaint. David, who wrote many of them, often portrays this, this kind of a man who wants his enemies destroyed and is wearied beyond end. And he's known as a man after God's own heart. David is brutally honest with God. I'm surrounded. I'm done. I don't know what to do. Help. Why are those prayers included in the Bible? Because they're honest and they're real. When it comes to prayers, God isn't grading essays. He's talking to children. C.S. Lewis said of prayer, he said, we must lay before him what is in us not what ought to be in us. Prayers of complaint are welcome. Number four is pray because the only way to get it wrong is by trying to get it right. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Pray because the only way to get prayer wrong is by trying to get it right. Prayer is an interaction. It's a conversation with Jesus. There is no right way. And trying to pray rightly is wrong because you just pray whenever, wherever, and for whatever. There are ways that can definitely move us towards God. There are ways to pray that can move us towards God. You know, something that I do almost every day is I pray the Our Father. I pray the Lord's Prayer thematically. I pray it thematically because it helps me. And I feel like as I do that, I'm drawn closer to God. And what I mean by thematically is I take the lines of the prayer. And I don't just repeat them as this rope prayer necessarily, but I, I look at our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, and I just sit there and I praise him. God, you are in heaven. Holy are you. You are my Father. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Your kingdom come and your will be done. In my wife today, your kingdom come in my kids today. Your kingdom come as I get on that pulpit and I start opening my mouth. Your will be done in Parkway as it is in heaven, at 325 Kentucky Court, at all the places in Corona as it is in heaven. I pray that not because it's the right way, but because it helps me. How do you pray? You talk to God, you just talk. You laugh, you shout, you cry, you vent. You sit in silence. Roberta Bondi, the Candor School of Theology professor, said, "If you are praying, you're already doing it right." Richard Foster, among others said, "By praying, we learn to pray." Thomas Merton, a tapist, Trappist, Catholic monk, said if you want a life of prayer, the only way to get it is by praying. Mother Teresa said if we really mean to pray and want to pray, we must be ready to do it now. Don John Chapman, Catholic priest from the late 1800s, says pray as you can and don't try to pray as you can't. Whenever, wherever, for whatever. Find a place. Find a space. And meet with God there. Turn it into holy ground. If you can't pray for an hour, pray for a minute. If you zone out while you're praying at home, try going for a walk. If you can't concentrate enough to pray out loud, then begin to journal your prayers. If you can't concentrate to pray in your mind, pray aloud. If you can't pray with hope and faith, tell them your doubts and your disappointments and your complaints. If you can't pray phrases of praise, try letting them know all the frustrations and depression you feel. If you're unsure of your motives and you're afraid of silence and you're not sure if you're getting it right, but you're starting anyway, you're starting off in a good spot. Just pray. And the promise is the exchange is peace. So every time anxiety came to you and you are mulling over, instead of maybe mulling over, just pause and say, okay, God, this is what I'm thinking and feeling. Like, let the thought become a prayer. I am stressed about this, Lord, period. Help, period. Pray. Like, we need to understand that the Father loves us. That like, God loves you. Scriptures say that we cast our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us. Like one of the most important discoveries we can make is his love. And that's something that necessarily can't be taught. It's just discovered that he wants to hear from you. He longs to hear. Why would I call on a God who knows all and sees all anyway? Because it's about relationship. He wants the child to come. So the Lord is near, as scriptures say. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation... By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So start praying as you can. Make it a practice. And we're going to talk about, over the course of the next few weeks, different ways to pray and different kinds of prayers. We're going to end with communion today, because communion, by definition, The word communion means to to share, to fellowship. And so when we do this practice of communion, we are connecting to God in a mode of prayer. We're coming to God. And as we, uh, as a church, our practice is to do this at the beginning of each month. So the first Sunday of the year, we're going to take... The juice and the wafer. And we're going to connect with the presence of God. And Jesus, as he instructed his disciples before he went to his death and resurrection, he says, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. It's a way of remembering the sacrifice Jesus made. And I, when I remember the sacrifice Jesus made, when I remember that he went to the cross for sin and salvation, and when I remember that he rose from the dead, I remember that all those things that I tend to bring as requests to God, those anxious ways, wait a second, he died for. He died for all brokenness and all sin and all things that make life difficult. And the resurrection is a promise of hope. That one day all things will be restored that every tear will be wiped away. And so I take communion as a way to remember the Lord is near. Do not be anxious. And Lord, since you're near, as we take this together, we commune with you. If you're just joining us today and you're like, this sounds all like weird, crazy stuff, man. You know, you're, you're just welcome to observe, but this is a practice for believers I'm gonna get you to get that wafer from the top there. It's a little tricky to get out. This wafer is is bread, and and Jesus took bread with the disciples and he broke it and he shared it. And he says, This is my body that is given for you. And so when we take this, we remember that he gave his body, he gave his life for us on the cross. And as we turn our attention to the cross, we receive forgiveness for sins and eternal life and salvation. So if you're here in the house, you're a follower of Christ, maybe you're a new follower of Christ, let's take the bread together and remember that we are with him in body. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, that you gave your life so that we could actually be in relationship with you, that we could come to the Father. In the same way, then he took the cup. I'm going to get you to open up that juice there. He took a cup of wine. And in a Jewish wedding ceremony, as the man would come and present the covenant contract before potential bride as he they would they would kind of go over the agreement the covenant you know between the families and then he would take a cup and he would present it and if she drank from it it meant that she was going to participate that she agreed to the to the covenant and then he would then take the cup and drink himself and so Jesus took the cup with his disciples, and he said, hey, this is the new covenant that I make. So no longer would it be about animal sacrifices as it was in the Old Testament. No longer would it be that way. It would be about his sacrifice that he made. He shed his blood to cover sin. So that's why we do this. He shed his blood to cover our sin. And so the new covenant is we take this cup. We're just remembering that he's done that, and we thank him for it. So would you take that with me now? And Paul, as he's talking to the church, he says, whenever we do this, whenever we take the bread and we drink from the cup, we proclaim his death until he returns. So, Father, we thank you for sending your son out of great love for us. Because you knew that there's nothing we could do, God, to save ourselves from sin. There's nothing we could do to make a way to eternity. God, no goodness in us saves. But out of great love for us, you died on the cross for sins. And you rose again, defeating the power of death and sin over our lives. And so today, God, as we take communion, we remember the sacrifice that you made. And we turn our attention once again to you. And I pray, God, that even in this moment, that we would feel connected to your presence through your holy spirit Lord as we talk about prayer today and over the next few weeks i pray that you would you'd stir our hearts to talk with you you'd stir our our ourselves god to you'd stir our affections to be drawn to your presence lord and we would make space Lord, as we, as we begin 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church, and we choose to deny our flesh for the sake of our spirit, for the sake of guidance and, and seeking your will and just being in your presence, I pray, God, that this would be fruitful for us, that we would connect to you in more ways than we ever have before, that we would see spiritual growth in and around our lives, that we would see breakthrough. Maybe there's, a, there's an issue, God, that is present in the life of someone here or a situation, but through, through fasting and prayer, we're going to see breakthrough. And so in Jesus' name, we commit the next three weeks to you. We set it apart as holy from the rest of the year, 21 days holy to God. And I pray for all of us, God, that we would find places in and around our lives to make holy ground where we'd meet with Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray. we love you, Lord. you know I just want to maybe we can sing that chorus of make room for you. I just want to invite you to stand. I think it's important if we're going to talk about prayer that that we just spend a little moment just connecting with the Spirit of God in prayer and so the team's going to lead us in a song and, and you can stay in your chair, you can move around, find a space, but I want you to be intentional. What we're doing as we do this. Meeting with God through worship and through prayer is we're creating this space to be a holy space. It becomes holy ground. So draw near to God and the promise of Scripture is that he will draw near to you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website. WeAreParkway.com You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church